said we started and that we left off in Isaiah, turn to the book of Genesis. Start at the beginning. Start over again. One of the things that Meryl and I have been talking a lot about is uh, the end times. I really wonder how much time we have left. I am seeing things today that I've never seen before. It says that in the last days, when uh, the great tribulation comes, it says that Satan is going to have a turn. God is going to take off his restraining power. He's going to take the Holy Spirit out of the way. And Satan's going to have a turn. He's going to get to do whatever he wants to do. And there's going to be things that happen. What he's going to do and how he's going to take control is he is going to have lying wonders, and he says he's going to deceive the nations. I've always wondered what that lie was. I don't know what it is. I've got some guesses these days because I see things that make me wonder. But I'm not going to give you my guesses, but I do wonder how easy it is for Satan to deceive so many so quickly. I'm beginning to see how it's going to happen. It really makes me wonder. And so with that in mind, I want to ask you a question. Man, what are you? What are you right now? Without God, without God involved in human affairs, if you were just by yourself, what are you? Is there any room for pride? You are not what God made you for. Let me show you what God made you for. Genesis chapter 1. Man was given a domain and a purpose in the garden. Look at verse 26, and it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, here we go. Start listening to some of the words. And subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It also says later there's the word keep. They were supposed to keep the garden. That word rule, the first time you see it in this section, in verse 26, it means to tread or to rule. The word subdue means to subjugate or to violate. There's another rule. It's a different Hebrew word. The first one is yurdu. This one is redu. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. It also means to tread or rule. And then the word keep means to watch over or guard. That's what we were designed to do. We were created in God's image. We have the ability to relate and worship God that no other creature does. Then we were given a domain. It says, over every living thing that moves on earth. These are military terms. They mean to conquer and to rule. We were put here to co-rule with the king of kings. We are to manage the domain that God gave us. Psalm 8 reinforces this, and it uses a different word. Turn to Psalm 8. Psalm 8 Listen to what it says, starting in verse 4. He asks the same question I just asked you. He says, what is man? What is man, God, that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You, may have, ma you have made him a little lower than God 
and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. That word, to make Lord, I mean, to, uh, it says to you make him over, it means to make somebody a lord over. The word is tamsile. It means that you have become a lord over the domain that he gave you. Now, man fell. We're no longer lords. But the day is coming in Revelation chapter 22. And if one of the things that it says is that when we get to heaven in chapter 22 of Revelation, it says that we are going to reign forever. We lost that reign, but the day is coming when we are going to reign again. And when we reign this time, we are going to do something that we couldn't do before. God is going to take the negative. He's going to take that fall where we fell in sin, we lost the reign, but you know what? He's going to take that negative, turn it into a positive. We are going to know God in a way we didn't know before. We're going to be better rulers. We're going to sing a different song because we now know God in a way that we did not know him in our innocent state, not having gone through what we just went through right now in this sinful state, in this cursed world. We're going to sing a better song. I like it. We're going to reign even better. But what happened? We're not reigning right now. We're following. We're sheep following a leader who is leading us straight to hell. That's what man is right now. Genesis 3, Genesis chapter 3, describes the fall, and I want to show you the pattern of human history throughout, throughout the Bible and throughout human history, what has man done. Now, the, the fall of man was not, you hear the story where Adam and Eve took a piece of fruit, apple tree. That's not the sin. That's not what got us here. What got us here is they listened to the voice of the enemy. Satan hates God. And he came in with a strategy, and his strategy was to deceive and to lie, and the lie was specifically about God. To get Eve and Adam to react to his words by deception, except Adam wasn't deceived, but he started with a deception and a lie about God. What happened? Man's sin is that he listened to the voice of the enemy and put that over the words that God, his creator and maker, had given him. Adam had a specific command and words and blessings from God. They took the words of the enemy and the deception, and they gave credence and they gave credit to those words over the weight and the importance of the word of God. That was their sin. So, man falls, and when he falls, something happens. Man is cursed. He is no longer a ruler. He abdicates the throne. He gives it up. That scepter that Adam dropped, Satan comes along, and he picks it up. Now, who is the ruler over the, the forces of the air that Ephesians talks about in uh, Ephesians 6? It says that Satan picked up the scepter, and man is now following the prince of the air. We are now following and under the influence in this worldly domain that we live in, this cursed world, 
We're now following Satan. Chapter 4, follow this. Look what happens after, me. after Adam falls. Look what happens. In chapter 4, you see man starting out their lives with a sin nature in play. They leave the garden, and right away you see a horrible crime. What's the first thing you hear in chapter 4? Cain kills his brother. You have murder. A brother killing a brother. Society after this, if you keep falling, will progress. It will progress socially, economically. They'll invent metal, music, and things that we have today. They're progressing culturally. Socially, they're progressing. But not only is man progressing socially and growing, he's also becoming more and more corrupt. Sin and its influence is also. And what does that sin produce? It produces chapter 5. Chapter 5 is basically the first obituary you ever read in the Bible. Seth, born, dies. This one comes along, he dies. It says over and over again, he dies. Even good men, righteous men, die. Chapter 5 is the result of man's sin. Then you see something. In chapter 5, you see two men. Two lines are traced, Enoch and Enoch. There are two Enochs. The first one is the son of Cain. Look at verse, and back up to verse chapter four, uh, 17 of verse 4. It says, Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of his city Enoch. Now, Enoch is the, uh, it means to, uh, uh, what is the word? To, what's the word for starting a city? Consolidate. It means to consolidate or, or to commemorate. So what's, what he is doing when he has his son build a city and he names it after his son is he's trying to reverse the curse that God gave him. He's a wanderer. He lives in the, name, in the land of Nod. Nod just simply means wandering. So I don't know if it's an actual place. It means he's wandering because he's cursed by God. This man is trying to reverse the curse that's on him. So he has a son named Enoch, and he names the city out, and he tries to settle down. And it says when he builds it, the word in the Hebrew is indefinite. It means he was building. I don't think he ever finished that city. That city of Enoch got started and was never finished. But then it traces the line of Enoch, and this line, the son of Cain, is evil. Along comes another Enoch, and this Enoch is, look what it says in verse 26, out of this line from Seth, the one who replaced the son that was murdered, it says, from them came men who began to call upon the name of God. After that comes, in verse 19, Enoch, and it says Enoch was what? He was translated, he was taken because he was a righteous man. So you have two lines here. You have an evil line and you have a righteous line. And you have some men, not many, but you have some who begin to call on the name of the Lord. But something is going to happen here. Men are going to have a try at fixing the problem of sin. God does not have a program going on right now. He has a few men who call upon the name, but something is going to happen, and it is going to get so bad that God is going to have to wipe out the whole world. All flesh will have to be wiped out. There are a few, but by the time Noah comes along, there's only what? Out of all the world, there's only eight. What happened? What happened to this world is a demonstration of what man is without God's help. There is no program. There's no Israeli program. There's no church program. 
There is man by himself, and what is man trying to fix his own problems? He's progressed socially, but he cannot solve the sin problem. What does he do? Look at Genesis chapter 6. Look at the first seven verses. We have two chapters describing the progress of civilization, but we have only six verses that describe the way the world is just before Noah, the story of Noah. Look what it says in verse 1. Now it came about when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves whoever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he is also he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim, the word actually means giants or those who fell. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, describes what people were doing. It says they were experiencing the blessings of God. It's a blessing to be able to get married, to have children, to eat and drink. You're experiencing the goodness of God when you have that, okay? It says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 38, it says, For as in those days before the flood, there were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. They were enjoying life. God was being good to them. He was allowing them to experience, even though they were a judged, cursed world, he was still being good even to the wicked. To everybody, they experienced some goodness of God. Then it says that they had daughters born to them. Now, they also had boys born to them, but the focus here is on the daughters, okay? Now, why is he doing that? Daughters were born to them. It says that there was a, okay, then look at verse, get my glasses on. It says that the sons of God in verse 4, the sons of God come together with the daughters of men. It says that the sons of God were attracted to them because they were beautiful. The word in the Hebrew is, um, means that they were beautiful and attractive to look at. So these sons of God were attracted to these beautiful women, and then they took them and did what they wanted. Now, who are these sons of God? There's a lot of discussion about this, but we don't have time to get into all that. Let me just break it down and simply say that these sons of God were, the word in the Hebrew is benahilam. It means sons of God. To understand it, it means that they were uh, acts of God's creation, but they did not come from the relationship between a man and a woman human. They were not human, but they were created by God. What are these? These are the angels described in Job and a couple other places in Daniel. The same words are used, and it is talking about the angels that fell with Satan. The Bible talks about in Revelation that the dragon swept a third of the stars away from him. This is who they are. In Job, when it says that Satan came to present themselves, he came with the sons of God, 
These are the fallen angels that commonly appeared before God. Now, holy angels at the beginning are now fallen. They live in a spiritual world. I've already talked about how they live in the heavenlies. They don't live in the physical world. They do sometimes have the ability to do that. We see it through the Bible. Uh, the angels appeared to Abraham, two men. What were they? They were angels, along with Jesus Christ who put on, okay? And then there's other examples in the Bible. They can have the ability to put a, take a physical appearance. But they do not marry, the Bible tells us. They do not have the ability to have a physical relationship. So how then, how then, if that's true, what we just said, how is it possible for a spirit being to have a relationship with a physical woman? There's other explanations, but let me tell you, there's only one explanation for this. They had to possess a man. We're talking about demon possession here. The Gospels are full of times when Jesus had to cast out people who were demon-possessed. What is happening here is that men are giving themselves over to demons and letting the demons do what they want. Satan did it in the garden. What did he do? He took over the serpent, okay, and used the serpent for what he wanted. Demons, plural here, can do the same thing. Satan is attacking, but this time he's attacking the human race through his demons, and men are allowing it. The struggle here, if you look at this in these first six verses, God doesn't have, his issue here is not with the demons. That is discussed later on. His issue here is with flesh. The spirit will not always strive with flesh. What does he destroy in, uh, in the story of Noah? He destroys flesh. The issue here is not what the demons are doing. The issue is what the men and the women are doing. The men are allowing themselves to be controlled by demons. Now, this is absolutely amazing, but this is what the world has come, and this is what man is without God's help. You leave man to himself, what is he? He gives himself over to Satan. Are you beginning to see a pattern here? What was Adam and Eve's sin in the garden? They gave themselves over to the enemy. What is the pattern now that man by himself, without God's program, without his involvement, what is he doing? He's doing the same thing to demons. He's giving himself over to the demons and rejecting God because he loves sin. He loves the darkness more than he loves God and the light. That's what man is by himself. Man is so degraded, so degraded, that God has to wipe him out. Now, can you imagine... Can you imagine how evil this has been? I think there's a reason that he only spends a few verses describing what happens, and he doesn't go into a great detail. But listen, we're talking about a level of wickedness that is unimaginable. There was a couple times, and I wondered, I was trying to figure this out, and there's times when the Israelis were doing the same thing, and you know what was right next to it? Sacrificing their children, the demons, side by side. Can you imagine how evil and how horrible it was to live in this time? You know, we hear stories of Noah. I don't think you realize how bad it was for Noah and his family and what they lived in. It was horrible. It was so horrible, God killed them all. It wasn't worth going in and saving. Now, I have a question. How do you get a man to do that? 
How do you get a man to give himself over to Satan? What is Satan's and the demon's weapon? Lying, deception. What was the deception that would give a man the desire to walk away from God and follow a demon, give himself over to a demon who is going to lead you like a sheep straight into hell? Why would a man do that? Think about it. What was the lie that got Adam in the garden? You'll be like God. I read two books in the Army. We had a sergeant in my company who was an outright, very open Satan worshiper. It attracted my attention because I was, I think, the only, at one time, the only Christian out of about 80 and 90 men. And so there was him pushing for Satan. There was me. Everybody knew I was a Christian. And so I, I was interested. I started reading things. Now, listen, I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to read about Satan worship. You don't need to know. You don't need to know. Okay, But I read two books on Satan worshipers who became Christians. And in those books, I learned something. They both said the same thing. Do you know what attracted them to Satan worship? Satan gave them something. Power. They could do things that a human being couldn't do. And they described their ability and what they did when they worshipped Satan. They could do some awesome things. There was a power there that attracted them. I wonder if that was the kind of lie that attracted these men. But you want to know something? It's a lie. You're not powerful. You're a sheep headed straight for eternity in hell. It's a lie. God says, my, man, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. So that's the first, basically, first 2,000 years of human history. God reboots the human race, okay? We've got eight Christians. Start off with eight saved, godly men. It's only about 100 years later you come to chapter 11. How's it going now? How's it going? You get to chapter 11, and what have you got? You've got Nimrod and the Tower of Babel. Look at verse 4. Genesis chapter 11, look at verse 4. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. What are they doing? They're building a ziggurat. Ziggurat is simply a tower with a temple in it. Now, don't be fooled here by the translation. It's misleading. And it says that we'll reach. Now, in my translation, that will reach is in italics because it's not there. This is not a tower trying to get so high that it reaches into space. That's not what this is. It is a tower unto heaven. It's dedicated unto heaven. The purpose of this building that they were building, it was to worship the host of heaven. Guys, this is only 100 years after the reboot. And what are they doing? Do you know what uh, this is? If we were to go to Genesis chapter 17, Babylon is traced to this time. And it says, Babylon, verses, verse 19, it says, Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. You know what he's saying there? He's saying that you can trace all religions to this time. This is when all false religion started. 
And do you know what the Bible says that all religion is? Paul will later explain it. He says, all religion is demonic. That's what it is. Do you know what these men in Babel were doing? They were worshiping the Zodiac. Do you know what the Zodiac is? It's actually a copy of the Jewish system. Did you know that? Did you know that each one of the tribes had their own Zodiac? Satan is called, Tertullian called him God's monkey because he doesn't have his own program. All he does is copy God's program, and that's what he's doing here. That Zodiac represents different gods in the pantheon of gods, okay? What were they doing? Behind those gods that they were worshiping, what were they doing? They were actually worshiping, here we go again, demons. Demons is what's behind this false worship system, and it's what's behind all false religion. It's Satan's deception to get you to worship something else rather than to worship him. Okay, we've had enough. Man's had his turn, right? And what is man without God? What is he? He's a sheep following Satan. That's all he is. We're going to start something, and now, right after this, God gets more involved with the human race. He calls a man named Abraham, and he makes a covenant with him in chapter 12. Are we following through? Up to this time, God has been relatively uninvolved. Man has shown what he is without God. Now he's going to get involved. He's going to start something. He calls Abraham, and he says in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, he says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is a covenant made to Abraham that is passed on through his sons Isaac and Jacob, and then he fulfills that promise. He sends a family into Egypt, and they come out a nation, and this nation is a covenant nation, and what are they supposed to do? They are supposed to represent God. And in this dark world, without God's help, that turns to Satan, what was Israel supposed to do? They were supposed to represent God and be the light so that men could find him, stop chasing demons, and find God. They had the law. They had the prophets. They had the temple. They had the Shekinah glory, which was awesome. You could see it everywhere. They had all of that. And what did they do? They failed. Deuteronomy chapter 4, 19, it says, as he's telling this nation before they go into the promised land, this is what he tells them. And beware not, listen, does this sound familiar? Not to lift up your eyes to heaven and see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, and be drawn away and worship them and serve them. Why does God tell his nation not to do that? Listen to what happens. 2 Chronicles 33.5. Remember that guy, Manasseh, who did more evil than any of the kings and killed Isaiah? Listen to what he did. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Israel, you didn't do what you're supposed to do. You walked away from God, and what did you do? You did the same thing that everybody else did that doesn't have God. You started worshiping demons again. Instead of leading the world, what is Israel doing? They're following. Sound familiar? Israel does the same thing. Here we go again. We're coming into Isaiah. Oh, we're going to talk about Isaiah today, okay? Isaiah chapter 1, verse 29, it talks about after describes their worship that he's disgusted with. 
They pretend to worship in the temple, but what do they do? They go home, and under their oaks and their trees, what do they do? They're actually worshiping. Their hearts are really set on worshiping idols. What is the sin that really upsets God? He's going to list a lot of sins that he's taken them out for, but what is the one that really sets God off? Idol worship. Over and over. You read the book of Isaiah. Are we going to talk about it again? Yep, we're going to talk about it again, because what is the thing that really gets God upset? Idol worship. He hates it. He's jealous of it. It infuriates him. Instead of worshiping me, they're worshiping idols. Now listen to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. That a thing sacrificed to idols, is it anything? No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. What is idol worship? It's demon worship. Now, I want you to think about this, something. I was listening to a guy, and I never thought about this. I've always thought, you know what? It's really stupid to worship an idol. I never could figure out what the attraction was. And then I, I, he taught me something. When you pray to an idol, you know what happens? You get answers. You do. I never thought about that. You actually get answers, and things actually happen when you sit down and you pray and you worship that idol. Why? Because behind that idol is what? A demon. That demon wants you to worship that idol. So you know what he's going to do? He's listening to what you got to say. And he's going to deceive you into thinking that that idol has powers. When you worship an idol, you are actually worshiping a demon. Are you seeing a pattern of human history here? Do you see it? We did, what we did in the garden, that same pattern is going all through history. Same thing is happening. Man, what are you? What are you? You're a sheep following demons and Satan straight to hell. It's stupid. Matthew chapter 4. Do you see why? I want you to see something. Matthew chapter 4, before he starts his ministry, Jesus does something. What does he do? He fasts. I don't know how you do this. 40 days. He's led by the Spirit. He goes into the wilderness, and in his weakest point physically, all by himself in the wilderness, who shows up? The enemy. And what does the enemy do? He tempts him. I want you to look at the third, look at the third one that he's tempted with. Look at verse 8. Of Matthew chapter 4, and listen to what it says. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You want to know what? Of all the temptations I read there, I think that was a powerful temptation to Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus has come to take the kingdoms that Adam lost. It talks about it in Revelation. What, G, what Satan is offering Jesus here is a way to get those kingdoms without the cross. You don't have to go to the cross, Satan. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to be separated from your father and go through the agony you have to go through. I'll give them to you. 
if you'll just kneel down and worship me. Any other man before that, what would he have done? What is the pattern of all of human history? What would a normal human being have done? I'll worship you, Satan. I'll get down and kneel for you. Give me the kingdoms. I'll believe that lie. I'll be deceived. I'll worship you. What does Jesus do? Nope. Jesus is different. He's a different kind of man. You know what he is? He's worthy. Where we're not, what are we going to sing in Revelation? He is worthy. He just proved himself different than the first Adam and different from any of us. He is worthy because he is not going to be deceived. He is not going to listen to Satan. He is going to use the word of God against him. He shows us how to fight Satan. And he will not worship the enemy like all other men do. Now, the king is coming. There's one other thing I'm going to show you. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. There is coming a time. There is coming a time, and it won't be long, when this earth is going to have a rest. Men who have studied this, and they, they look at the millennial reign, they call it the Sabbath rest of human history. God is going to give us a thousand years of rest. Look at it in verse chapter 20. Listen to this. Look at verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him, said he would not deceive the nations any longer. Until the thousand years were completed, after these things he must be released for a short time. Now, if you want to know what's going to happen here is when the tribulation ends, a thousand years will start and only saved people, only the saved who survived the tribulation will enter this. This will start off with only Christians. Only redeemed will start this millennial reign. And Jesus will be the king. You want to know what this time is going to be like? Look at the Gospels. What was Jesus doing when he came and he healed the sick and he cast out demons and he raised the dead and he ruled over nature? What was he doing? He was showing you what the kingdom is going to be like when he becomes king. He was telling Israel, listen, you want me to be your king because let me show you what the kingdom is. You're all going to be healed. Eating is not going to be a problem. Demons, they're gone. Look how peaceful, how calm, how blessed, how much fun it's going to be when Jesus is king. The earth is going to experience a population explosion like you've never seen before because people aren't going to die. People aren't going to get sick. This earth will be blessed. It will be awesome. And you know what? Where are we going to learn about this? Isaiah is full of this. Isaiah refers to this time over and over and over again. It is going to be so much fun talking about it. It is. It's awesome. He is describing what the world is going to be like when Jesus is king. Okay, now listen. There's something amazing here. This just blows me away. Under perfect conditions, okay, We've gone from the dark world. God, you see through human history, he's become more and more and more involved. Well, now he's fully involved. You've gone from one extreme to the other. God is in complete control. 
what happens when Satan comes back? God is going to make a point here. What's the point we've been making so far? What is man without God? What is he? He's become, he's gone from being a king to a follower of the enemy, okay? Look what happens. The end of chapter 20, look at verse 7. I'm sorry, I said end. Start at verse 7. It says, And the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out, and here he goes again, to deceive the nations. Now, one of the things that just blows me away about that is that one of the things that the Bible talks about during this morning rain, it says that the knowledge of God will flood the earth. You know who's going to teach during that time? God. You're not going to have guys like me struggling, wrestling with Scripture with broken minds, trying to get pieces into you. That's the way it is right now, okay? At our best, I'm just a broken man trying to give you pieces of the Word of God. Listen, you're going to have full knowledge taught by God himself. It doesn't get any better than that. Everybody will know about the glory and the awesomeness of God. They're not only going to hear it, they're going to see it. Okay, people in that world, look what they do. They come out, Satan tries to deceive him, and guess what? It works. He will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for war, The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. Not just a few. I wonder what parents taught their kids during this time. You know what? I don't think it's the parents' fault. Guys, take some parents. You got some kids that didn't turn out the way you wanted to? Under perfect conditions in the garden, what happened? God was the father. His children fell. They sinned. Under perfect, almost perfect conditions here, children walk away. It says, how many? The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And what they do now is absolutely insane. It's suicidal. They came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. You know who's in that city? Jesus Christ. That's where his throne is. They're attacking Jesus Christ and Christians. They're surrounding Jerusalem. What happens? God wipes them out. Bam, fire comes from heaven. They're dead. And what happens to them? Their leader and all of them go straight into the lake of fire. Deceived, fooled. Now, anybody out here, you're not a Christian. I believe I have the ability to see truth that you don't. Now, listen to me. Listen to me carefully. I do not say that with pride. I don't. But I do believe it. Why? It is not because I'm smarter than you. The only difference, the only difference between you, deceived person, going to hell, and me, able to see the truth of God's word, is because when God the Father came and drew Gary Dinsmore and said, will you come and serve me? I said, yes. And when that happened, the Holy Spirit came in and indwelt me, and it is only the work of the Holy Spirit that makes me different than you. It takes the work of God and it takes the word of Holy Spirit for a person to see the truth of God. That's the only difference. Listen, I don't want you to be a dumb sheep and be deceived by the enemy, which is way the, the way of this world. Listen, when it comes time for you, say yes to God 
and you're not going to believe the difference there is between the way a Christian thinks and the way a lost person thinks. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. My time is up. I want to say one thing before I go, though. Since I started teaching here, I can't remember, was it two months ago? Meryl and I will tell you about this. I don't want to get weird on you, but listen, some strange things have been happening. Okay? And I asked Marilyn, I said, is this too weird? Am I just making it up? She says, no. I'm, I'm telling you, strange things happen. I'll get up. You know what? Every time I try to pray or every time I try to study to get ready for a lesson, I get interrupted. It is nonstop interruptions. You know what I started doing? I got up the other morning. I got up at 2 o'clock in the morning. I got up another morning, and Satan must have been watching me or somebody was watching me because I got up at 3 o'clock because I knew it was the only time I was going to have that interruption. I got interrupted. Somebody's watching me, okay? I can tell you some other strange things that have happened, but I was talking to another pastor the day, and he says, you know what's funny? He says, you know that if you try to do something for God, he says, you know what I've experienced? He says, you know all those old temptations that I thought were taken care of in my youth? Here they come again. You know what? I've had that happen to me. It's really weird. Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, Satan desires to sift you. He says, but I have, I have prayed for you. You know what? I've come to a conclusion, and I'm not talking just about me because Joplin said it here. The last time I heard him speak, he said the same thing. Can't do this alone. Can't do it. We need to pray for each other. You realize, listen, do you realize we've got an enemy? And the more that we try to do for God, individually and as a church, the more you're going to feel the hate from the enemy. The more we do, the more strange things are going to happen. I'm seeing it more and more. I see a world, I don't think we have much time, whatever we're going to do. But if we're going to do, we're going to have to pray for each other. We need God's help. And listen to me. Meryl and I talked about this too. When I look at what God has done in my life and the truth that he's given me, the Bible, Jesus talks about, he says, I have given you the, the keys of the kingdom. I've given you the ability to understand the kingdom. I showed you the kingdom. What he teaches us in this Bible is a gift. If God gives us truth and he teaches you about the kingdom and the things that we talk about and you have the ability to understand that truth, it is a gift from God. I don't have any pride in that. I wonder and I marvel that I have and that we have the ability to see the truth of God. And I look around and I see things and I think so differently. I listen to the news, I listen to people talk, I see what's happening. I don't live in that world. My mind is on the kingdom and on God and I'm ready to go home. Okay? It's a gift. We need to marvel and we need to be grateful for what God has given us here and we need to pray for it.